Amen. Well, good morning, church family. Pastor Jesse here. If you're uh, checking us out for the first time, we're very glad that you're here. We're glad that you've stopped by. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to get more plugged in, go to our website, sbctrucky.com, and sign up for our newsletter, and we've got some information there for you and, uh, and, and all the things that are going on. I just want to give you a couple updates on a couple things. Uh, one, we want to thank you for continuing to move over to online giving. For those of you who've done that, you have shown to be incredibly generous and kind uh, to us in this season, and we're thankful for that. In fact, this week, uh, someone uh, as an act of generosity donated a, a lightly used car to the church, and we're going to be looking for a family or someone in need uh, to be able to give that to. And so those kind of things continue to happen, and we're very thankful for it. Uh, as well as for our missionaries that we support, you can see this Sunday I'm wearing a t-shirt. If you were here on Sunday, if we were still in the building, uh, I know I would hear an incredible amount of comments, oh, you must not be preaching Today, In fact, even when I got up this morning, my wife said, are you preaching today? And I said, yes, I am. I'm wearing a t-shirt and hope uh, to support Travis and Amber. And also just to throw us off every now and then, you don't have to be in a tie and a suit or a button-up shirt to be holy. It doesn't matter what you wear. It's about what's inside the heart. So I uh, want to continue to pray for Travis and Amber in Mexico. They actually have moved on to their own property. Uh, they, they are there now, and they are starting the next phase of building to be able to bring in some kids. Uh, and of course, they're dealing with the virus just as we are in Mexico, and so continue uh, to pray for them. And then tonight, John Drollinger, one of our intern elders, is teaching a new believers class, an introduction uh, to Christianity and an encouragement for those of you in faith. It really is a class for everyone. And on our website is the information for you to email John uh, and ask to join in on that study. It is a digital study on Zoom, uh, and we want to encourage you to email him uh, and, and dive in. So with that said, let's get into our study. We've been uh, in the book of Exodus, and we've been looking at the life of Moses. We saw that Moses was saved uh, as a Hebrew child by uh, the daughter of Pharaoh because Pharaoh had put a decree that all of the Hebrews uh, should basically be controlled through slavery and manipulation, as well as the killing of the firstborn uh, male in each family. So uh, Moses is saved. He grows up in the house of Pharaoh. He's educated as a Hebrew. I'm sorry, not as a Hebrew. He's raised by his mom as a nurse. She actually has the opportunity uh, to feed him and help him grow. So we know that, that Moses actually had uh, some upbringing from his Hebrew background as a Hebrew child, but he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So he was educated uh, just like the, the uh, Egyptians would have been, he uh, was highly educated. And then later we see that he sees one of the Hebrew men being uh, basically persecuted by an Egyptian, and he kills the Egyptian. Uh, and he buries him in the sand, and his sin is found out, and he runs away from the Egyptian people. And then two to Mount Horeb, where he finds a wife, and he runs into the burning bush, which you see depicted behind me, which is a picture of God as an all-consuming fire, as the Bible says that he is a God of fire. He, he will lead them by fire later on in Exodus, and he is an all-consuming uh, God, and he is an amazing God. And so Moses speaks with him, and, and, and God says to Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt and you are going to free my people. And then he, he gives Moses three miracles. We talked about those last week uh, in order to go with power. So now we see in chapter 5, Moses shows up 
uh, to Pharaoh, states his case to Pharaoh, and then something very unfortunate happens. Instead of being freed, uh, their work is made harder. We'll read it here in a moment, but I want to start uh, with an illustration to help us dive into the text. So let me ask you a question, and I'll share with you some things uh, from my own life uh, that have been a struggle in regards to the question that is being asked. Have you ever felt disappointed? Have you ever felt as if God has abandoned you? Have you ever felt uh, as if God just wasn't for you? Have you dealt with sadness? Have you dealt with discouragement? Let me define those terms for you so we're all on the same page here. Disappointment is sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. Did you follow that? It's sadness because the hope that we wanted something didn't come to place. Or discouragement is a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. Uh, I'm just very taken back each week at how the text that we've been reading, the, the places that Moses has been walking through, and how the text itself has applied to the season that we're in. Uh, you might be discouraged. We're not gathering together. I know that I am. I'm discouraged. And our leadership is actually meeting tomorrow to uh, try to strategize uh, about how uh, the next phase of ministry at Sierra Bible Church looks in this season, whether that means being able to get back together in the building or home groups throughout the area, or we're even looking at maybe being outside uh, to try to get us back together and gathering. And, and it's been a disappointment not to be with you. It's been a disappointment not to see your face. It's a disappointment to actually look at the camera at times instead of you as a physical person. I remember as a child one particular uh, time that I was very disappointed. It was uh, a Christmas. I, I was probably seven, eight, maybe nine years old, and my parents had put the Christmas gifts under the tree, uh, and I was dying to know with anticipation what was inside of those gifts. And while my parents weren't around, I, I was able to, uh, if you're a child, you probably shouldn't listen to this so you don't do this uh, later this Christmas, but I actually was able to cut a piece of the tape away, peel back what, what was there to see inside, and I think it was uh, some He-Man at the time. I don't know if you guys remember what He-Man is, but uh, He-Man was, well, he's, he's a great guy. He's amazing. And um, at any rate, I ruined my Christmas. I knew what I was getting, I, and, and it just ruined it. I was totally disappointed. And then later in life, I'll tell you a story uh, about Allie and I, we, we waited to have kids. So we enjoyed each other's company. We, we used to go shopping. We used to go to movies, you know, all the things we all used to do. And, uh, and, then, and then one day she started to kind of really express the desire to have children, and I, I wasn't totally sure if I wanted to have children. And... Um, and I was in San Diego talking to a pastor, and we were talking about kids, and he said, are you guys going to have kids? I think it was 33 at the time. We got married when I was 25, so we'd been married about seven, eight years and, and, and without kids. And all of a sudden, he said something to me about how God has created uh, most women with an innate desire to have children, and that I was taking this gift, this desire, this inner burn inside of her away from her. And I felt convicted that I wasn't giving her uh, what God wanted her to have. So I came home from that trip, and it was like, it, was, it wasn't because of his conviction. It was because God had spoken to me that my wife and I needed to have kids. And so uh, we, we started the process of trying to plan out what it would look like to try to have kids, and then the whole cycle of, of when, when can we have kids and, and all that stuff. We went through all of that, and then she finally got pregnant, and there was this anticipation, and there was this hope, and then she miscarried. Uh, and to make a long story short, that happened to us several times. I think at least 
four times where she would get pregnant, we would have hope, and then we would be disappointed with the loss of a child. And it was hard. It was harder on her probably than me, but it was difficult. And then I began to feel that desire inside of me, knowing that there was possible we would never have kids. Uh, it, it started to burn inside of me that, that I really wanted to have children. And then, and then someone in the family uh, of the church said to us, hey, we have this great doctor down where we live, and, uh, and he can help you guys, and we're willing to pay for all of the things that, that, that'll take place so we can figure out why you're not having children and why this isn't working. And so we were about to make the phone call and say, hey, we'll, we'll take you up on that. And of course, uh, for those of you who know the rest of the story, uh, right before we made that phone call, she, my wife took another pregnancy test, and she was pregnant with our firstborn, Peyton. And then after that, it was gangbusters. It was, once her body knew, once everything uh, came together, hope was fulfilled, and, and, and now we're, we're praying that we have four kids, and that's exactly all we want is our four beautiful kids. So uh, we're thankful for that. Now, those, are, those were arenas for me where, where they were hard and they were difficult. I'm sure they were difficult for my wife. Disappointment. And, and disappointment and discouragement usually are connected with hope. And so I say that as we enter into the text this morning that Moses is bringing hope. He, he's coming before Pharaoh and he's saying it's time to let God's people go. And, and instead of a miracle, instead of freedom, their labor is increased. So uh, if you are uh, with me this morning, you have your Bible. We are encouraging you, don't, don't let the season of COVID-19 take you away from the seriousness and the beauty of church. Uh, continue to come online as, as much as you can. Continue to check out the videos on YouTube uh, and, and Instagram and all those places. But I want to encourage you to continue to, to maintain your tradition and your hope and your love for Jesus in the season. So if you would, stand with me as we read from Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Afterward, Moses and Aaron said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and go to Israel? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past let them go and gather the straw for themselves, adding to their burden and work. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go offer a sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men, that they may labor as it that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw, go get your own straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work and your daily task each day when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task making bricks today 
and yesterday is in the past. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten, but, they, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You were idle. You were idle. That is why you say, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go back now to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks. Your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, and we were waiting, and they were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord took on you and judged because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Lord, would you minister to us through your word today? Draw us close to you. Keep distraction far that we may focus on the good word of God, that you do care about us and that you have spoken to us through your holy words. We trust you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Well, this is quite amazing. In chapter 4, verse 31, if you remember, Moses is given signs, given three specific signs, the Nile, which would turn to blood, the 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 cane or, or the staff that he held would become a snake. His hand would turn leprous within his cloak. He would bring it out to show the leprosy, put it back in that it would be healed. Now, these signs have been given to Moses for the people of Israel, for, for uh, Pharaoh, that there would be hope for the people of the Hebrews and that there would be a lesson for Pharaoh to know, you have to let my people go. These people have been crushed, they have been oppressed, they have been murdered, they have been used, they have been treated as subhuman for 400 years. And after 400 years, they cry out to God. They're crying out for hope. They're crying out for freedom. And now freedom has come in the name of Moses. And Moses shows up on the scene. He controls the serpent. He heals the sickness and he controls the wealth and the power that enslaves the people. There's great hope here. Moses has come as a liberator. There seems to be light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, for us, we have been looking, I think, and asking, when will our country open up again? Where is the light at the end of the tunnel? And, and there might be a little glimmer of hope, and then all of a sudden the date is extended and the frustration increase. And here we see that in spite of this hope, Pharaoh hears the message and he responds as a typical unbeliever response. There's some marks here of any unbeliever, anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus as their Savior, who does not submit themselves to God. The first is, he says, who is the Lord? I don't know him. I don't know this God in verse 3. I don't even know who you're speaking about. In fact, Moses barely knows God at this moment. He's had an encounter with God. He's growing in relationship with God, but it won't be till later in Exodus that we see that Moses starts to really understand and believe in faith in who God is. In addition to that, some other marks, in, in addition to the ignorance of the person and identity of who God is, and much of an unbeliever, and when they don't believe, it has to do with the reality they don't totally know who God is. His identity is far from their, their ideal or their their, their responsibility, their understanding. He says, I don't know him. 
And what he's saying when he says, I don't know him, is he's saying, uh, this God has no claim on my life. In fact, remember, Pharaoh is like a deity. When he put the headdress with the serpent on, it was, this is a deity. This is a God. He rules the day. In addition to that, he begins to openly mock and oppress the people of God. This is also another mark of people who do not believe in Jesus. They typically would mock us. I, I, I can't help it. Every Sunday when I come in, I scroll through Facebook and YouTube and you cannot get on any social media platform on a Sunday without being inundated with the gospel Christian message. I rejoice in that. But I also know that with that has come criticism and rebuke and remarks about how ridiculous and silly we are as Christians to put our hope in God. And yet we have this radical hope. Now let me read to you, or, or you can turn there if you're in your Bible, the song of Moses as he has moved from, from in this particular chapter, in Exodus chapter 15, losing hope to, to wandering in the desert and regaining his hope in the Lord in spite of the tragedy and the disappointment in which he's living with. This is called the song of Moses. Listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, which of course we'll visit later. But Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. You see, Moses and the people, even though, and this is really kind of all of our life and all of our our walk with God, we have these moments of frustration. We have these moments of disappointment. And typically, when we don't get what we want, we're disappointed with God and we wonder why. And then at other times, we have the ability to, to, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of difficulty, to sing that God is our strength. And this is what God is trying to teach the people in Exodus, the Hebrews, that God is their strength, that he is our song, and that the heart ultimately longs for something more than what this world has to offer. This is one of the realities and why we believe that a God exists and that God has intervened in man's life that we would have relationship with him. Remember, he showed up as a burning bush. There's a paradox there. Something's happening with this burning bush. It's burning, but it's not being consumed. It's a paradox. And this is the reality of what happens inside of our own hearts. We all have these burning bush moments in our lives, crisis moments, you might call them. When, when, when all of a sudden you have everything in your life, you have all, the bank account is dialed in, everything's good, and yet you still feel empty inside. One particular person I know very well actually shared with me that when the stock market plunged, they lost $200,000, and they're close to retirement. It's their retirement money. It's how they're going to live. And he said, yeah, I told my wife, just take me to the Bay Area Bridge because I'm going to jump off. And I think he was joking, but there was some seriousness to it as well. His, his money and his finances are his hope. It's been taken away. His song is not God. That's a paradox, you see. That's a burning bush moment in your life when, when everything in your life is together, yet you still feel disappointed or everything is broken and you still feel disappointed. Uh, regardless of what's happening in your life, circumstances have taken you down. It seems difficult. My job is in question. Where is your hope? Where is your salvation? Is God your song? Or is everything else your song? It, it, those things in your heart, do you leap when, when, when you have money, but you get disappointed when you don't? Where is your hope? And I just want to say uh, to several of you, I have seen 
Even in the midst of this difficulty, you, you uh, calling out and still blessing the name of the Lord. And I appreciate that. Disappointment, which is rooted in a loss of hope, it makes you feel alone when you're disappointed. It causes a great amount of anxiety. And it actually makes you question who God is. Ultimately, when you're disappointed and you don't get what you want, you wonder, is God good in my life? I remember having to take my wife into the hospital when we lost one of our children and and, and thinking to myself, where are you in this, God? To see her frail and in that moment of difficulty and loss, emotional and physical pain, it caused a great deal of anxiety. In fact, after losing all of our four children, I remember when our first one was born, my wife was in labor for 20-something hours. Nobody prepared me for that. And I know if the, the room was full today, you, you would laugh because you would say, well, what did you do? I know I didn't do anything. My wife did everything. But I felt hopeless in that moment. As I've joked over the years, all I could offer her is more ice. I couldn't relieve the pain. I couldn't make the baby come faster. And I was worried that we were going to lose another child, even late-term pregnancy. And yet, he finally came. But I wondered for a moment. I actually took a picture. It's still on my phone today of me in the, the bathroom of the hospital. I took a picture of myself with my eyes open wide just to remind myself of this moment. God, where are you? And what I was feeling in that moment. But what we've seen in Exodus is God always has a plan. What we see in the Bible is God always has a plan, even in the midst of disappointment and suffering and pain and hardship and difficulty. God always has a plan. And that plan we're learning through Scripture, you have to see within the text of the Bible, is always different than we anticipate. It always goes differently than we think it's going to go. I want to just share with you a couple things. I want to share with you uh, two different sides of the same coin. One is how do you deal with disappointment, and how do you ensure that you make your disappointment and discouragement worse? So let's deal with the hopeful side first, because I think there's lots of application for us in regards to this this morning. The first application in to deal with disappointment and discouragement in your life is you have to admit your humanity. If you remember in chapter 4, Exodus says, who am I? Pharaoh asked the question about who is God. This is a question that all of us have to continually ask. Who is man? Who is God? Who am I? Who is Jesus? And who, who is the evil that's out there? What is the evil that's out there? Who, who is the what and the where and the why? How come? Admit your humanity. You are not ultimate. You are limited. You don't know the future. You have to admit in certain moments you can't fix everything. Uh, You're not in control. One pastor says, says it like this, For all of mankind's giftedness, no man is omnipotent, has all the power there is. No man is omnipresent, is everywhere at once in his fullness. No man is omniscient, omniscient. Knows everything and everywhere, knows everything and everywhere at once, seamlessly past, present, and future, flowing all together, one event leading to other events leading to other events. Only God is in that space, and we are not. Acknowledging our limitations that God is going to behave in ways that are really confusing to us. We have to acknowledge our limitations. We have to grow comfortable in the sovereign, brilliant size of God as opposed to our own tininess. Here's my tweetable moment, okay? When I say tweetable moment, this is a, a quote you can put on an Instagram post. You can put it on Twitter. You, you put it out there and say, uh, this, this is a thing that makes me think and it's punchy. Being small and in his hands is better than being big and in control. Did you hear me? Being small and in his hands 
is better than being big and in control. See, your control, your knowledge, your ability is minuscule, it's tiny, it's nothing compared to the brilliant, all-knowing, all-beautiful God who knows what he's doing in your present and in the future and how it all ties together in the great story of the gospel that there's hope in salvation. My friends, if, if you want to deal with disappointment and discouragement with a smile on your face, you have to admit that you don't know what you don't know. You have to admit that God knows everything. Admit your tininess. Here's number two. You've got to get in the word. You have to be reading scripture and you have to see how God's people dealt with discouragement because it happens all over the Bible. From Jeremiah to Isaiah to David, David is almost bipolar in his writings in the Psalms. He is struggling with disappointment. He doesn't know where God is. And other times he does. You have to see that dealing with discouragement is a very real biblical thing that we all have to deal with. John 16, 32, Jesus says this. Listen carefully now. The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. It's coming. It is now. It is right now when you will be scattered each to his own home. You hear that? There's an hour in which we'll each be scattered to our own home. Congratulations, this time is now. And he will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me, and I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know what this means just simply, practically for you right now? God is in your home. He is in your homeschooling. He is in your difficulty. He is, and, and I get it. Your kids want to get outside with their friends. You want to go have a drink with your friends. We all want to get back to normal, but we have to know that in this abnormal, God is with us. And then lastly, you have to seriously look at the cross. I mean, like seriously look at the cross. I mean, these are things we just have to say time and time again. Not only do you have to admit your humanity, not only do you have to get in the word of God, and there's so many ways to get in the word. In fact, we've been launching videos all over the place on YouTube. There are so many good devotionals you could listen to from our elders and our pastoral team on our YouTube channel right now, well, after the message. But you got to seriously look at the cross. <clears throat> and here's what I mean by this. You have to remember continually that the Lord Jesus knew deep disappointment from his days on this earth, that our Savior dealt with disappointment. His disciples let him down continually, all of them forsook him, one denied him, one even betrayed him. He knows the pain and frustration that you experience in your disappointment. He can sympathize with you and support you as, a, as you just reel back from all of the different blows of life. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and he will not leave you or forsake you. He is our hope. See, God is our hope. You have to look at the cross and see if anyone understands disappointment, it's the man that is Jesus Christ. And that should give us hope because Jesus shows us that in his disappointment and his suffering and his hardship that he still brings new things. Let me ask you again. Let me just kind of keep pushing into your heart. What are you disappointed with? Are you disappointed with your spouse in this particular situation? Have you questioned whether or not you married the right person? I've heard that before. Are you wondering if your kids are actually your kids? I say that sarcastically. 
Are you wondering uh, why your boss is responding the way he is? I've heard of that in this season, of, of people being frustrated with the way that their boss is handling them or, or persecuting them or, or just, just flat out mocking them. Are you frustrated with the government? Are you frustrated with the news? I actually, this week, was in a conference call with a CIA agent, which is interesting. And he said, right now, one of the things that they're dealing with within the Central Intelligence Agency is an influx of fake Twitter and Facebook accounts from Russia, Iran, and China to keep America divided. And what he said is many of the posts that you see out there on Facebook are not, are not even from legitimate news sources. They're from our enemies abroad trying to get you to hate your brother or to hate your sister. You see, the rest of the world knows that if they can keep America divided along political lines, that we will be distracted, we won't know what's happening in the world, and we won't be effective, and we won't have the same kind of financial strength that we have. What is the lesson of that? The lesson of that is that the gospel message tells us to love one another in spite of disappointment and discouragement, that you can disagree with each other and still understand one another. I mean, I'm hearing it from all over the place. As a pastor, I get bombarded from one side of the coin that this is legitimate. And, and, and people that I know who work in the hospital industry who are saying, we need to be worried about this. We need to be doing social distance. And then from the other side of the camp, I'm hearing that this is the Antichrist. This is the ushering in of the new world order. And Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in our hands and all of those different things. And to be honest with you, do, do I know? I don't know. I'm back to my first point of dealing with disappointment. I am limited. I'm not ultimate. I don't know what's happening all over the world. And I don't know the future. And frankly, I don't want to know the future. What I want to do is live in the present and look at the cross and understand that God is my hope. In fact, someone said, said you know what, if it all goes down like this, we should be really worried. I said, we don't need to be worried about anything. Our hope is in heaven. That's why Romans 5.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And then he tells us how we get all of this hope and peace. By believing, it's faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. No one should be more hopeful of our circumstance and disappointment than us. And the people in the Hebrew culture here should have had hope because Moses knew, he knew, oh my goodness, he knew. God told him, you're going to go, you're going to preach, and Pharaoh's not going to listen. And yet we see in chapter 5, verse 22, what does Moses do? He gets upset with God. He goes, why have you done this evil? He, he blames God for it. Instead of having hope in God and what God said would happen. You've got to come to him, my friends. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for him in the midst of my disappointment, in the midst of my suffering and hardship, in the midst of my trial, I, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry and he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure and he put a new song in my heart and in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, but their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Three things. Three things to help you deal with disappointment. Admit your humanity, your smallness. And with that, understand the bigness of God and the, the overall of what is happening. Get in the word and see that God uses suffering and look at the cross and have hope and eternal salvation for as he was raised from the dead, so shall we. Now, what about making disappointment worse? 
What are some things that maybe you're doing right now that are actually making your discouragement and your distress worse than it should be? I want to talk about a few here, and obviously this, again, is practical, but what does it look like to be building bricks with less straw or with no straw at all? First of all, note that the people still had to make bricks with straw. You, you can't make a brick without straw. It doesn't work. They instead had to go get their own straw and add it to their labor. So what are some things here that I think are here that, that help us understand uh, that, that we can exacerbate and make our discouragement worse? Here's number one. The number one way you can make your discouragement worse is by not fully submitting to God. That's how you can make it more worse, by not, not doing the things that God has called you to do as far as living holy and living a life that is glorifying to him. Now you remember, we actually see this in the text. Because God told Moses, he said, okay, when you go, you're to go to Pharaoh and you are to declare full liberation of God's people. But Moses, in his statement to Pharaoh, left a few words out. Exodus 5.1, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that we may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And later he says, for three days. It almost makes it sound like a small vacation. Pharaoh, just let us go for a few days. We're going to go have a feast. Uh, and maybe we'll come back. Maybe we won't. He's, he's negotiating with Pharaoh instead of coming with the boldness in which God told him to come with. Hey, the great I am has sent me. You need to let our people go. And here's some miracles for you so you know that you need to submit. He didn't do that. He left something out. You can make your discouragement worse by not submitting to God. So, so here's the deal, parents. You need to be mindful of your interactions at home. You need to be mindful of the way that you are responding. Are you patient in this season? Are you kind in this season? Or are you untempered? What ways have you not submitted to God? Number two, you don't trust the promises of God. Number two, you don't trust the promises of God. See, the voice of God is against the voice of Pharaoh here. God says, I, you tell him I am, and Pharaoh says, who is God? It, it's showing us the cosmic battle, and the promise that was given to Moses was, you will be liberated, and he didn't trust the promises. Thus says Pharaoh, verse 9, the world, God is a liar. That's what he says. That, that is a strong statement by Pharaoh. He says, don't trust in these lies. See, see, one of the ways that Pharaoh ends up exacerbating his own situation is because he didn't submit to the word of God or to the promise of God. Exodus 5.15 says, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten but the fault is your own people. And you've got a very interesting play of words in Exodus 15 and earlier. God says, or Moses says, allow my people to come out and serve God. And then the people, the, the, the foreman, the chain of command says, no, 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 you've got to serve Pharaoh. And that word serve is unique and it both of them actually mean worship. And it's a play in words where they're saying, it's either you're going to worship God or you're going to worship Pharaoh. You're going to worship the promises that God gives you and the God who gives those promises, or you're going to worship the world. Another way to say it is, ultimately, you worship where you work the hardest. You worship with where you work the hardest. Where do you put your attention? Where do you put your adoration? And the encouragement is that we would put our work and everything that we do 
towards God and not towards everything else. So you can exacerbate by not fully submitting, by not trusting the promises of God, specifically the promises in the Word of God. I've encouraged you on many occasions here that you should look for those promises and you should remember them and to know that they are for you because all of the promises in God are yes in Christ Jesus. Here's number three, forgetfulness. Okay, one of the most consistent messages in the Bible is that God is loving and he is gracious and he is merciful and he is kind and he is patient and he has forgetfulness in regards to our sin. It's one of the most consistent messages. Just one word, he is gracious. He is kind. The other most consistent message in the, in the Bible is the danger of forgetting a God. Forgetfulness. You want to talk about forgetting uh, and making things worse, forgetting by far will make your discouragement worse. Exodus 5.22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why are you doing this evil? He has forgotten that God said this is exactly what would happen. He forgot. One pastor, again, he says it like this, well, I feel like I don't have the sharpest mind, but I think God has told Moses exactly what's going to happen like four times. (laughs) Starting back in chapter three, you're going to go, you're going to tell Pharaoh, I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to listen. I'm going to show you signs and wonders. I'm going to pull you out completely. You're going to go and tell him my name. He's not going to listen. His heart is going to be hard. Things are going to get harder. And then here's signs and wonders I'm going to use for you and lead you out. And yet Moses has forgotten. And time and time again, when we start to feel discouraged, it's because we've forgotten the goodness of God in our life. It's easy for me in my particular circumstances, whatever they might be, to be in that moment and to forget. There's a, uh, Caleb posted an interview and a testimony of my wife and I, and, and every time I tell my testimony, I'm reminded that God has pulled me out of the mire and the muck. In fact, I, I remember when Allie and I were dating, it seemed that relationship wasn't maybe going to happen, and then it did, and then through our life, we, we saw how God worked in our marriage, and then with our kids and not being able to have kids, and then we were able to have kids, and then things in ministry. There is a track record of God being faithful to me and my wife and my family and our church in spite of us. But yet in the moment, I can forget. What ways have you forgotten God's goodness in your marriage, God's goodness in your children's lives, God's goodness in your own salvation, God's goodness? What is the story that you have forgotten in your own life where God has proven that no matter how hard life gets, he is still incredibly good? You've got to remember those things. Because if you forget, you make it worse. Lastly, and this is my last point of this message, instead of just absorbing your infiniteness, or I'm sorry, your finiteness, your smallness, number four is you blame God when things get bad. Moses does this as well. Why have you done this evil? Man, I've seen this. I, I've seen this in so many great Christians' lives, and, and it's somber and it's hard, and I want to be sensitive to it. I've seen it played out in marriage. I've seen it played out in parenting. That when your marriage isn't what you want it to be, you blame God. God, why did you do this? I have someone in my life that I love dearly that has turned their back on God because they believe the hardship in their life is God's fault. At least they acknowledge that God is real. At least they acknowledge that God exists. But they've blamed God. Instead of getting their eyes on God, they get their eyes on man. That's typically what's happening. You're not, you're not focusing on the right things. 
It's not God's fault. God loves you. And the declaration of the death on the cross proves that to be true. Again, we have to go back to that first point of dealing with our disappointment. Acknowledge your smallness and acknowledge God's bigness. I've seen people turn their backs on God because of health issues. Why am I dealing with this particular health issue? At my age, I shouldn't have this cancer. I shouldn't have this issue. I shouldn't have this diagnosis. God, why would you do this? Have you left me? Have you forsaken me? You see, there are many people throughout the ages where they could say the trial or the tribulation, it's God's fault, and they turn away. And and I can tell you I've seen just as many people turn to God in their pain and suffering as walk away from God in their pain and suffering. You have a choice as you think about the gospel and the goodness of Jesus, when you think about your discouragement and your hopelessness, when you think about making bricks without straw and your labor being heavy and things getting harder, you have a choice. Are you going to forget the goodness of God? Are you going to blame God? Or are you going to get back to the place where you recognize that in the midst of suffering, God does his best work? As the CMA that we're a part of says, it's these crisis moments, these moments of crying out, these moments of hardship that usually not only bring us to Jesus, but bring us to the next phase in our relationship with God. You see, what's happening in God's delay is he's actually revealing the heart of the people more than anything else. Let me say it this way, the delay in God's promises, the delay in things getting better actually reveal what is inside his people's hearts. And what's in their hearts is complaining and a lack of trust in the Lord. How has your heart been shown in this season? Where is your hope? My friends, especially my conspiracy theorist friends, God bless you. not saying you're wrong. I have no idea. But what I could say is online, where most of our world is being lived right now, If someone looked at your Facebook page, would they say that person, their hope and their trust and their faith is in Jesus, or they would say, boy, they're really pushing a political swing here. My encouragement would be that people would see that you're not rattled by the unknown, but that your feet are on solid ground, the gospel of God. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. Because ultimately, true freedom will only really be found. And if that's what's happening, we're losing our freedoms. Only true freedom will truly be found in heaven above. And in the meantime, it is our job to present the gospel message to as many people as possible. True salvation, true hope, true peace, true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Let us remember the goodness of who he is. So that even if we're building bricks without straw, we can still smile and sing, God is our salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are present in the midst of all hardship. I pray with the practicality of this message that for many they they find hope that they don't have to walk in life feeling discouraged and down, but they can look to the hope of heaven, Lord, in faith that you're in control and that you are big and you are beautiful and you are all-knowing And you're working all things, that's right, all things, no matter how hard and difficult and discouraging it is, you're working all things for our good, for your glory, that more people will come to you and know you and be saved by you. May we put our faith in you, Lord. We trust you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.